Support your favorite local businesses during this challenging time at supportlocal.usatoday.com. Buy a gift card now. Use it later and help save a business or two. Buy a gift card at supportlocal.usatoday.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Draftville, the USA Today Sports Network's podcast previewing the NFL's virtual draft in April. I'm your host, Tommy Dees from the Tennessean in Nashville. Today we're talking to Luke Easterling, editor at DraftWire, who will talk about prospects who are hot, prospects who may be falling, and some sleepers and possible busts. Luke, you seem to be the guy to help us take a deeper dive into some of the topics on the NFL draft. So, so let me just start with the obvious. Who are the top of the draft prospects who, who everybody expects to make an impact? I think at the top of the draft, obviously the conversation is going to be uh, about the quarterbacks. And obviously you start with Joe Burrow from LSU, who everybody uh, assumes will be the number one pick for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Tua Tungavailoa from Alabama is the next guy probably a top-five pick there, even with the injury concerns coming off that scary hip injury uh, that ended his season uh, last year at Alabama. Both those guys should be top-five picks. I think Justin Herbert from Oregon could also be in that mix. Uh, Jordan Love from Utah State is the next quarterback. All four of those guys uh, could come off the board in the top-10, top-15, especially with teams looking to trade up for the, that position being as important as it is. But outside of the quarterback, uh, this is a fantastic draft. If you need an offensive tackle, there are four offensive tackles that could be top ten picks uh, in terms of their talent. Uh, we're talking about uh, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, Jedrick Wills from Alabama, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, Mackay Beckton from Louisville. All four of those guys could go as high as number four to a team like the New York Giants who need to protect Daniel Jones, the, the franchise quarterback they drafted last year. And all four of those guys should be gone in the top 15 no matter what happens. In, on defense, it starts at Ohio State, which we're not – really surprised to see after the last few years. Chase Young, uh, the defensive end, is probably the top overall prospect in this draft, regardless of position. Jeff Okuda is by far the best corner in this draft. Um, Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson is a, a linebacker, safety hybrid uh, that's just a rare playmaker. He's a guy who's 6'4", 230-plus, uh, and can run in the 4'4s, 4'3s, which is just ridiculous for his size. So he's a versatile player that can fit any defense. Uh, so there, there's something for everybody in this draft. Uh, the wide receiver class is incredibly deep, but those are some of the top names that you'll see gone in the top ten. Okay, now now who are some guys that, that may be bargains on, say, the second day and early on the third day? Um, but, you know, what, what positions are going to be deep there and then what, what players might jump off the board? You know, I mentioned the depth of the wide receiver position, and I think that's where uh, teams are really going to find some, some impact players. Also at running back, at wide receiver, you've got three guys who I think are first-round locks. The two guys out of Alabama, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs III, and then C.D. Lamb out of Oklahoma, all those guys could be gone in the top 15 as well, definitely the top 20. But I think that if teams you know, see the depth of this wide receiver class and decide, you know what, I could wait till the second or third round, they're still going to find some high-quality starting caliber guys in that range. Denzel Mims from Baylor, Jalen Rieger from TCU, T. Higgins from Clemson, LaVisca Chanel Jr. from Colorado, 
There's a lot of second-round wide receivers that I really, really like in this class. And then running back is going to be interesting because we're still not sure when that first one is going to come off the board. Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin seems to be the, the consensus number one back in this class, especially after the, the performance he had at the scouting combine, uh, running as fast as he did for his size. He's just a very complete player. But I still don't know if, you know, he's kind of a throwback power runner. I don't know if a team is going to value him enough in the first round to spend that high of a pick on him. And even if it is, it's probably going to be on the back end of the first round. So we could go into the second round with only one, if not any, you know, running backs off the board, which leaves guys like DeAndre Swift from Georgia, um, Cam Akers from Florida State, Zach Moss from Utah, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU, uh, J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. These are all second, third round type guys that I think could make immediate impact depending on where they land at the next level. Yeah, and we're talking about probably uh, certainly the most unique draft uh, probably in all of our lifetimes. Um, uh, the draft has come a long way from what it was and the, the level of um, scrutiny on players and the, the amount of um, exposure they get to the teams. Well, we, we pretty much cut out all the pro days, um, and that's where a lot of that information comes from. There's a lot of guys who weren't at the Combine or the Senior Bowl. So, so all you really have to evaluate on if you're an NFL team is, is tape and and maybe interviews, and, and then they're, you know, a lot of them are doing their own videos and everything. So do you expect a lot of maybe um, surprise picks that, boy, this team just really thinks this guy's a second-rounder and maybe everybody else thinks he's a fourth-rounder? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that impacts a lot of the decisions that teams make, and, and I think it impacts that in a couple of different ways. I think, first of all, I think you're going to see teams way more interested in trading picks this year for future assets and future drafts because you're assuming, hey, I'm going to you know, maybe punt on a couple of picks in this draft because this process has been so strange and it could impact our decision-making ability in terms of you know, evaluating these players just because it's been such an odd situation. I feel much more comfortable taking a pick next year instead when, when we're hoping and assuming that the process will be much more like it's been uh, you know, up until this year, and, and we'll be able to kind of more accurately evaluate those prospects. And I think, honestly, the biggest thing that it impacts in the immediate is something that you kind of alluded to, which is that, you know, the guys who didn't go to the combine or got injured and, and couldn't run and do certain drills or small school guys that didn't get invited at all and, and absolutely rely on those pro day workouts uh, for, for their draft, you know, Doc, and I go back to a guy that you guys know very well in Kevin Byard, a player that I was extremely high on in his draft class. I was very surprised that he did not get a combine invite, and he went out to his combine or his pro day performance at Middle Tennessee and, and lit it up and ended up being you know a high pick in the third round and, and an all-pro very quickly. So it's going to impact those guys who either weren't at the combine for whatever reason and can't have a pro day, can't have that opportunity to show teams that their athleticism puts them on par with some of those big school guys and those combine stars that say, hey, I'm deserving of a very early pick, they're not going to know. So, you know, it, it, may, it may be a situation where teams find players that down the road they end up being huge bargains because they should have gone earlier in the draft, and they just didn't know it because those players didn't get an opportunity to show that athleticism like we're, normal, you know, we're used to seeing. Yeah, and you mentioned small school guys, but and, and I'd like to pick your brain on a, a few of those, either, either people who are just off the radar, maybe they weren't, a star at their big school or they're from a small school? Who are some names that, that most of us haven't heard that we should keep an eye on? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of small school guys that, that really excite me in this draft, and I think the Senior Bowl 
has always been a good place to find some of those guys. They're able to get an invite, and I think we saw that happen this year on the offensive side. Uh, guys like Ben Barch, he's an offensive tackle out of St. John's in Minnesota. He can play tackle or guard at the next level, and he proved uh, at the Senior Bowl that he's capable of going up against players from Alabama and Ohio State and all the powerhouse programs. He's a versatile guy that I think goes on day two, despite coming from a very, very small school, similar to some guys we've seen in the past. Ali, Ali Marpet uh, down in Tampa Bay was a second-round pick after a strong Senior Bowl showing. I think Ben Barch could get into that second or third-round range as well. On defense, it's about the safety position. Uh, two of my top five safeties in this class come out of Lenore Rhine and Southern Illinois. And that's Kyle Duggar and Jeremy Chin, who are both incredible athletes, guys that are big enough and athletic enough to play kind of a similar role. We talked about Isaiah Simmons from Clemson earlier being kind of a safety linebacker. I think depending on the scheme, both Kyle Duggar from Lenore Rhine and Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois have that same skill set, the athleticism, not quite to the elite level that, that obviously somebody like Simmons has as a top five pick. But these are guys from very small programs that could easily be both second-round picks uh, in a very deep defensive back class. But, you know, those are small school guys that I think will go a lot earlier than a lot of people think. Yeah, and this, this draft also has at least two guys who are kind of tweeners uh, slash guys, one in, one, one in Memphis and one in uh, Kentucky. Um, do you think that those kind of guys might have more value this year? I don't know if they have more value than any other year, but, man, I love both of the guys that you're talking about, Lynn Bowden Jr., uh, and Antonio Gibson, those are both guys that, uh, you know, when sometimes in this process you see teams or analysts be like, you know, I don't know what to do with that guy. I don't know whether he's a running back or a receiver or a quarterback. And I don't know if it's just me, and I, I think there's probably some offensive coordinators uh, across the league who feel like I don't care. I don't care what, what he is supposed to be or what we list him as. He's just such a dynamic player with the ball in his hand that we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure out a way to make this, athlete, this playmaker, have value for our team. And I'm a firm believer, to go back to talking about Isaiah Simmons, you know, if, if there's not a play, if there's not a spot in your defense for a guy like that, whether you think he's a linebacker or a safety, then you probably need to change your defense. Uh, and I feel the same way about, uh, about Bowden and, uh, and Gibson. If there's not a place for a dynamic athlete who just makes special things happen with the ball in his hands like those two guys can do, I feel like your, your offense needs to change because you need to have the ability to maximize a talent like that. So, so which guys in this draft intrigue you most, um, e- either ones who could make a big splash or ones that you're not completely sold on that, that may, may get drafted high but you don't think quite are, are worth that? You know, I'll go to the quarterback position for, for a guy on either side. And I mentioned Jordan Love from Utah State earlier. He's a guy that showed flashes of brilliance throughout his career. Didn't have a great supporting cast, obviously, at Utah State. Uh, but threw some great balls against teams like LSU and, and just showed you moments where you're like, man, that's an NFL quarterback, but obviously very inconsistent, still very raw in terms of, you know, the, the complete package that you want from an NFL starting quarterback. And, and I think it'll take time for him. I, I think it's similar to Josh Allen in Buffalo, a guy we saw go in the top 10 out of Wyoming, had a very similar, you know, kind of career arc through college and, and similar in terms of his lack of supporting cast. And we're seeing him kind of take those lumps as a starter early on, and I think that will pay off down the road. It's just going to take time. So if you're a quarter, if you're a team that needs a quarterback at the top of the draft, and you're taking Jordan Love in the top 15, as long as you have a, a succession plan, if you've got somebody in place now as a bridge quarterback, uh, you know someone like the Los Angeles Chargers comes to mind with Tyrod Taylor already in there, or if you're a team that doesn't have that guy and you're able to go out and sign Cam Newton, you're able to go sign. Jameis Winston or one of those other veteran quarterbacks to be your 
backup plan or your immediate plan, then he makes sense in the top ten. If not, and you're throwing him to the wolves right away as a starter, I'm not so sure about it. On the other side, I think Jalen Hurts is one of the most intriguing players in this entire draft. I don't see what a guy can do at the college level to prove himself more than what Jalen Hurts did. And I think in terms of not just being a winner and a leader, because all those things are obvious with him, but with his skill set as a passer in particular, we know he can run, we know he's a great athlete. I go back to what Dak Prescott did, and he's in his senior year at Mississippi State. He went from being that, you know, kind of glorified Tim Tebow type skill set quarterback, and he made huge strides as a passer, in particularly as a senior, that made him, you know, he was only a fourth round pick even after that, but he's proven since then to be a very quality starter at the next level. I think Jalen Hurts has a very similar skill set to that. I think he made very similar improvements in terms of just as a pure passer, as a senior at Oklahoma, and I think that if a team takes a chance on him earlier than that, I think he should be a second or third round pick as opposed to a fourth round pick like Prescott was, and if he gets in the right situation, could, could have similar success to what Prescott has seen in Dallas. Okay, so which prospects do you think have the most question marks? And, and again, this is a year where we might not get the answers because of lack of pro days and, and other evaluations. I think it has to start with Tua Tungabailoa, the quarterback from Alabama. I mean, when you have so much writing on a medical evaluation, like I said, any year it would be important, but when you, when you don't have the ability to, to, to have team doctors doing the physicals in the team facilities, uh, and you just have, you're coming off such a major injury. Uh, again, something that ended his season, something that required surgery. Not only that, he's had high ankle sprains that have required the same surgery on each of his ankles in each of the past two seasons as well. So he, he's not a huge guy. He's, you know, six foot, six one, you know, 210-ish pounds. So, you know, the durability is going to be a huge question with him. Obviously, the upside and the potential is astronomical. And we've seen what he's been able to do at Alabama. But there will be questions about that as well. You know, was his success more about what he brought to the table or about what his supporting cast brought to the table because he had arguably the greatest receiver core maybe in college football history with Judy and Ruggs and Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. I mean, so many weapons. Was, was he the man that drove that engine or was, the, you know, was it more because he had so many playmakers around him? So, you know, for a guy that's going to warrant a top five pick in this draft, there's so many question marks about whether his body's going to hold up at the next level and whether or not if you go to a team that's picking in the top five, which obviously that means you're, you probably weren't very good last year and you're not going to have the kind of supporting cast he did at Alabama, is he going to be able to have that same success even if he is able to stay healthy? All right, Luke, um, we'll put you on the spot. Who's, who's the one guy you're most excited about seeing get drafted in, in this draft? And, and it doesn't have to be the, the first guy off the board. It could be a guy you think might be on the, on the third day who's just going to be a really fun player to, to watch in the NFL. You know, I, it's, it's hard to find one that I am excited about more than a couple of the guys we mentioned earlier. I think that Antonio Gibson, in particular, if you're looking for a guy that just makes magic happen every time he touches the football, and look at the average yards every time he touches the ball. Look how often he scores a touchdown every time he touches the ball. So, no matter when you draft him or whether you want him to be a receiver or running back or whatever, look what the, uh, the San Francisco 49ers have done with Debo Samuel in just one year in terms of getting the ball in his hands in creative ways and how he transformed that offense for Kyle Shanahan just in year one. I think Antonio Gibson has absolutely the ability to do that. And in a draft where it's deep at wide receiver, maybe not as deep at running back, there's five or six guys that I think are immediate starters, but after that, it's a big drop-off. I think there's going to be a creative offensive coordinator out there somewhere that says, give me this guy in the second or third round, 
and we're going to turn him into an, an immediate impact player in our offense just because he's so explosive. He can do so many things. We can line him up anywhere we want in this offense, and I think he's going to end up being a, a guy that we look back on and say, wow, how did he last to you know, whatever round he went in? All right, Luke, thank you for joining us here on Draftville. Um, we appreciate your time and looking forward to the NFL Draft. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Well, that does it for another episode of Draftville. We hope you'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can drop us a review and a rating while you're at it. I'm Tommy Dees, and we'll be back again next week on Draftville.